2: We're back, live with more Gabe Ramirez on 670 The Score.
0: I need another pocketbook.
2: Our next guest for the entire 7 o'clock hour is most certainly busting a move as he's listening to this. I know him too well. He's If I were to guess, uh, yeah, see, baby, I know him very well. Anthony Herron, hanging out in the it. building. Ant, what's up? You got it. The problem is you, you got a baby delay in your you got a baby delay in your headphones because you're at home, so you're off beat on,
3: on the air. But well, I know you know I got it, <laughs> right? 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 People know I'm on beat. They know. Long as you know, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Long hey, as know hey, what's really God. going on. <laughs> That's
2: great. And what's up, man? How are you? What's up, Gabriel? Yeah, man, uh, we ready. Last and time I saw you, you were you were on your way to an airport to go to New Jersey. Ah, and right. then I saw you, and I, we, we we we're not supposed to spend too much time here, but I did see you <laughs> doing that boardwalk. Matter of fact, well, I'll ask you about that boardwalk a little bit later because I was curious okay. about that. I mean, we, we got
3: the whole hour. You know, folks, folks can wait, or Tyler can wait, or no, 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 no,
2: no. I've had some meetings with people. Oh, okay, okay.
0: Can't be out here bullshitting too long. All right, the first couple minutes. No, no, no. Okay, all
3: right.
2: Um. So so, but then after that flight, after you call that game, Bears football Sunday. Mm-hmm. Now. We, I mean, we obviously did our Bears unleashed show, so we we know our thoughts about what what we thought was going to happen prior to,
3: yeah.
2: After the game, I mean, Bears lost. Sure, there were some good takeaways, and it, fe- it felt it felt the reason why it was icky to me is because it felt like last year where. I was supposed to take something something positive away from the game and be okay with that. That's what I felt. <laughs> like people were like, "Oh, wait, but Justin feels like a good game, right? That's that's mm-hmm. a victory in Chicago now. I don't know if you heard about that ant. But it's <laughs> wins, losses, ties and then moral victories.
3: Moral victories. Which we we're, we're, we're,
2: we have no real victories in the last 14 15 games. But we got hella moral victories.
3: Hey man, that, that's what we're doing right now. We're leading. We're walking the up. We got leading we got both league. hands cupped right now, and, and we're just we're walking up to the vessel, just hoping that somebody's gonna pour us a, a little bit of something. You know, we, yeah. we are starving for victories. We are starving for joy as a sports populist in what, Chicago. But,
2: but 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 you know, the final buzzer sounds. Is it disgust in your mind? Is it is it you know like what I'm trying to think? What I want take me to the end of the game and what you were thinking emotionally.
3: So I'm, you You know me, I'm Captain Context mm-hmm. in these situations. And so a game that I did think the Bears were going to win going in because you had what for both home games so far has been a rabid soldier field. And so I anticipated that being something that, especially by comparison to that opener where in front of the home fans where the crowd was live for that Green Bay game and the players didn't show up. in the last couple of weeks on the road, I said, okay, they're, they're at least – we saw some more some more energy, some more passion. You know, execution was still lacking. So I did think they're going to go out there and not only play hard, but then against a team that's been struggling like the Broncos, yeah, you're going to get probably Denver's best shot because they're looking – we talked about it on Friday during Bears Unleashed. The Bears were going to get their best shot because the Broncos were looking at them as prey just in the same way the Bears were looking at them. Like, this is a get-right game. We can finally get a dub here because it's a team that's struggling just as bad as we are. But then you get into the game and the Bears began to dominate the entirety of the first half. Now, Denver drives down the field on their opening drive and scores a touchdown. But then beyond that, when the Bears offense began to roll, and this is the thing that I think there's a lot of folks out there who end up sort of dismissing the idea of momentum. But when the offense began to roll, you saw Bears defense that took the field with a different temperament, a a different type of confidence, a different juice and the defense for the first time this season, starting to force some three and outs and making life difficult on the opposing offense. And that's where like the initial, you know, this first time you and I really had the opportunity to talk in detail since the game. And it's funny, we're going to have two different uh, (laughs) games in between actually us being able to be on Fox 32 for, for bears unleashed. But the idea of the fourth downs, and that's where even, like myself and Olin Kruitz, we were disagreeing about this a little bit in postgame, just where the initial fourth down that a lot of folks took issue with that Matty Berflus didn't go for in the opening drive of the game, being 0-3, and this, and Olin didn't mention 0-3, but I know a lot of folks said, and whether it's on the air, or you know the broadcasters during the game, or folks on Twitter said, well, you're 0-3, just throw caution to the wind. What do you have to lose? My point is, This game, you you still have (laughs) to coach the game that's in front of you. So whether you're 0-3 or 0-13, you have to factor in. Now, there does become a certain point of diminishing returns where if you get far enough along in a season and maybe you throw more and more caution to the wind, but 0-3 is very different than 0-13. So three games into a season, you're in game number four, to open the game up and have a fourth and a long two Right now, I I would imagine Matt Eberflus from a game management perspective was factoring in several things there. He's thinking, you know what? We actually had a productive series up until putting ourselves behind the chains with a penalty, and then you have this third and 15 where Justin throws a strike on a dig route to DJ Moore, comes up a couple of yards short, and so in that scenario where your defense that's been struggling just as mightily as the offense this season as opposed to in minus territory, you haven't even crossed midfield yet, and maybe you don't convert that fourth and two, and now your defense has to take the field for the first time against a veteran quarterback with a quality play caller, and the team is only 45 yards away from the end zone at that point, That that's not a great scenario to put a struggling defense into opening the game. So I understood not going for that first fourth down, and then by comparison to that, the next fourth down, fourth and in essentially inches, just beyond midfield he went for it. I got that because now – you do see your offense is starting to roll. There's more confidence in the offense converting because now you've seen they're starting to make some plays here in the game. They are into a rhythm. They are taking advantage of this defense. So you feel good about going for that fourth down, and your defense has some juice going in the game too. So within the flow of the game, as you collect additional data, then the way you handle some of these situations can adjust. My problem at the end was with the final fourth down. I I really thought that the opportunity late in the fourth quarter to take the lead back in a game in a quarter where Denver was charging back into the game and your offense had mounted a response drive where the Broncos have scored, what, 21 points in a row? Mm -hmm. And now you mount a response drive where your offensive line has begun to take that game over. And so he's thinking fourth and one. And there's a case to be made either way. And the case that Olin was making was, Your line's been dominating at that point. Go ahead and see if you can close the door. Just shut the door on the opponent right there. Pick up that first down, put the points on the board, and then, you know, just just close it out. I think there's a case to be made for that, in my opinion, where there's a chance late in the fourth quarter to take the lead and you haven't been great in third and short, fourth and short, regardless of the play call. And I didn't love the play call. But to me, it's two different things, Gabe. I think the decision to go, I disagree with. But then, okay, once you've made that decision, I didn't love the play call, but I will say this. There hasn't been a play they have executed well on fourth and short. We, we've seen Matt Eberflus go for fourth downs. We've seen Luke, Get- Luke Getze call fourth downs. And it's not like they do the same thing every time. We've seen them under center. With QB sneak, we've seen them under center and hand it off. We've seen them in shotgun. We've seen uh, uh, Cole Komet taking snaps. Nothing they've done since last year and this year has looked great, has been executed at a high level on fourth down. So I think it's overly simpl- simplistic to look at the play call and just say, why are you in the shotgun? My answer to that would be because they're not good under center on fourth and short either. <laughs> mm-hmm. So that, that's kind of a more of a macro problem with that. But it was a game I came out of it and said that, you know, Matt Eberflus, out of a, a bunch of losses that we've seen the Bears take, that was one where I said that, that might be the first time. And, yes, in recent weeks there's been so much turmoil at Hallis Hall. There's a lot to question about Matt Eberflus beyond the white lines. But as far as, like, in-game management, that's the game where I felt like that, that critical moment late in the game, that's probably the first time where I said, man, Matt Eberflus made a decision where that critical moment was a decision that the head coach, I think, ended up negating a chance to win the game.
2: Yeah, and there were so many things going on in that in that moment, and especially in that fourth quarter, right, Ant, where, you know, you kind of felt the tides turning a little bit, and no, everybody felt it. If I felt it, everybody felt it. Mm-hmm. And then that, that pressure starts to mount, and then you see Justin Fields with three opportunities to cement the game, basically, right? Put more points on the board for his team. He saw it, you know, with the fumble for a touchdown. You saw it with the inability to pick up the first down, whether you call it play calling or not, right? He's still op- operating the offense you know, doesn't get it there, and then obviously getting the ball back with, you know, less than two minutes to play and an opportunity to either tie or take the lead and then throws the interception. So I, I think there's just so much going on in that game where you were you were operating at a high, and it was almost – not almost, it was the tail of two halves, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, super confident Justin Fields, probably more confident than we'd ever seen him. Dropping back three steps, throwing it right when it lands, knowing where he's going, feeling good, but – and. We know people like this, though, right? Where you're playing pickup basketball, and when you're up 20, the three pointer hits a little easier, right? <laughs> the the basket feels big, but 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 if it's a two point game and you got to shoot that same three pointer, I liken it to Kyle Korver, So I talk about a lot when I use that example. Where okay. buddy, up, up Bulls up 20, dollar in the bucket, talking about Bulls. Bulls up 20, <laughs> Kyle Korver smacking that thing, tied 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 up in the fourth quarter with three minutes left. He's not hitting, right? And it's like. Those things, you know, get highlighted in certain moments. The play calling, the, the right, the shotgun. I mean, you can point to a ton of things. I just hate the fact that it's then a moral victory because of, you know, the position they were in, because of what they were doing. Because ultimately what it just boils down to is that you lost to an, a, an, a winless team, even though it's only been three games. But you lose to a winless team, a team that yeah, just – you should, not that you should have won that game, right? Because like we mentioned, they're going to come out guns blazing. But it just says – Exactly what we know about this team is, is that they're not very good. Cause what it seemed like ultimately to me, and, and 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 one thing that we've been thinking about for a year now, and it is that this is a talentless roster compared to other teams. Mm. Right. There, there is talent on the team, but when you're comparing it to other teams, you see when people talk about the oh, talent's not there. What what are you talking about? It's not tangible. Well, well, when you watch the tape, you're like, Oh, instead of five guys being good on defense, it's nine. Instead of, you know, the, the one wide mm. one right receiver, it's two. Instead of a, a great one defensive lineman, they got two in a great line. But, like, it's just they have just that much more talent. And I think that's becoming – and it, and it's frustrating because I just don't know how long it will take to turn it around because
3: it seems like it'll, it'll never happen. And, you know, talent-deficient roster, you know, where there's, by comparison to a lot of other teams around the league, even teams within this division. Like, I, I talked to you guys, to you and Cassie, about it on Unleashed. I talked about it a good bit on this station, even last season, when you compared the available playmakers that the Bears took the field with last season versus even just teams in the division. And this is even before people realized that the Detroit Lions were turning a corner, but even that first time, The Bears played the Lions last season, and you're looking at Detroit like, man, they they got multiple running backs that that look like they're ready to go the distance at any given play. You got a quarterback who's led a team to a Super Bowl berth before. You got multiple pass rushers, not only the first-round pick in Hutchinson, but late-round pick in Houston just causing problems for everybody every which way. You You see guys all around the field, and one of the best offensive lines in football. It's a rotten multiple tight ends like, you know, Detroit, even at that point last season talking about that, like look at the Lions roster and their available playmakers compared to where the Bears were last season. Now, the Bears roster has enhanced, you know, it's a better roster this year than last. But in the end, even an example like the bootleg, you know, I'm talking to Dan and Lawrence a good bit about about Justin Fields bootlegging out yesterday. And there's been multiple examples this season. Of, of Justin Fields trying to run naked bootleg and defenders just being in his face. Now, what I liked that Luke Getzey did, and, and I, I'll say this, cause I said it you know, on, the, on the station, I said it a, a bit on Sunday, I said it again yesterday, I feel like it's worth repeating here, where after the opening game of this season against Green Bay, I felt like that was the worst game that I've seen Luke Getzey call as offensive coordinator for the Bears. I thought it was just, you know, out of the – the year plus that he's been the Bears O.C. I thought the opener against Green Bay this season was was the worst game plan and just sequencing of plays that I've seen him manage as the Bears O.C. I thought this Sunday at home against Denver was the best. It was the best job he's done. Now, some of these things go hand in hand because you had not only Luke Getze putting the the exact thing that I've been talking about a lot of the – consistent movement of the launch point of of utilizing your quarterback's mobility to take physical pressure off of himself and the offensive line because now you don't have a stationary target for the opposing pass rush and blitz package to tee off on on a consistent basis. I know how, how frustrating that can become as a pass rusher. Like even going back in the day, like the early portion of Peyton Manning's career and playing against those old Indianapolis Colts teams, Peyton Manning was never thought of as a mobile quarterback, but they would adjust tempos against you. They would do sprint action on you. They would do bootlegs on you. And it was never, there was never a rhythm that you felt like you could get into against the Colts because there was just constantly something different, whether it was the change of the snap count, the change of the tempo, the change of the launch point, the hard play action that he was so exceptional at, just making a a real handoff look like play action and vice versa. All those things take the starch out of an opposing pass rush. and I thought the Bears did that far more effectively. I thought Luke Getzey and Justin Fields managed that much more effectively the other day where the physical pressure it takes off of fields because he's not just like sitting there waiting to get cut in half by some oncoming pass rusher, and it makes the life of the offensive line more manageable as well because the opposing pass rush knows or doesn't know that they can just tee off on their best pass rush move in every passing scenario. But then also it takes mental pressure off of your quarterback where it's not this full field read dropping back in the pocket, snap in and snap out. So in addition to some early QB run, and then really once the pass game really got going and they were cooking through on the football, after really a few called QB runs early, we didn't see much more called QB run in the game, but it worked just fine without it. But what we did see, we did see continual movement of the pocket with sprints, with some boot, with misdirection in the backfield where Justin is running in one direction and some guys coming in motion at the last second. And Layla made a great point when I was on with Lawrence and Dana and Layla yesterday about that pre-snap motion, bringing guys like at the last second before the football gets snapped and guys just screaming across the formation, looking like maybe they're a threat or just running out towards the flat. All those types of things affect the eye discipline of the defense. And there was so much more of that in Sunday's game plan than we had seen at any other point from the Bears this season. So I thought Luke Getzey was exceptional for the majority of that game on Sunday. And that makes a big difference when your quarterback is now able to execute that, but then also in those moments within the pocket, which from a percentage standpoint, seemed to me that less of the passing game was Justin Fields just sitting stationary in the pocket, reading the full field. But when he was tasked with doing that, I loved the eye discipline. Of Justin Fields from Sunday. The way that he would be able to manipulate defenders, manipulate safeties and linebackers, not necessarily staring down read number one. And sometimes when read number one is open, you just hit that back foot and fire it in there. He did that plenty. But there were also times, like those initial two touchdown passes, the one to DJ Moore, the one to Cole Komet, where he was moving defenders with his eyes, thus opening up, throwing windows, and, and creating matchups with that. I thought that was the best I've seen Justin Fields look from that perspective of like high-level command from a quarterback perspective. and That, to me, is what that, – that's repeatable. Now, the pass protection w- was really good. It's the best game the Bears offensive line has had. They'll face better pass rushers starting this Thursday night. So maybe the protection – and the protection wasn't pristine at all times the other day – and that's where Justin Fields was really good at times, just knowing his hot read, getting the football out of his hand so quickly like you referenced. It's a good slant to D.J. Moore. I think it was on a third down at one point where somebody just came unblocked, ready to cut him in half, and he just fed it right there in a the tight window. D.J. Moore just plucked the football right up from near the ground. And that, that's high-level quarterback and receiver play. That's high-level throwing and catching. There was more of that on Sunday than we've seen at any other point in Luke Getsy's time calling plays for the Bears, and certainly any other game so far this season. I'll get to uh, Luke
2: Getz's drive in just a second. I, uh, I, I do want to highlight the fact that Justin Fields, a lot of his throws were just like on the money, in stride, in the yeah. hands. Just you know, wasn't behind anybody's. When he's catching the rhythm, he had some some nice throws. I want to go to the first drive of the game before before we take a break, and it was frustrating from the very beginning because there was no run. And I'm like, and they, we spent all week, like, what do you do well? We run the ball. Oh, what do you do? Oh, clear. First play, pass to Robert Tunyon. I was like, okay, you know, I'm fine, whatever.
3: I, I'm okay with it. And they moved that. the pocket. They did some sprint the action pocket, that was great. Tunyon. Then
2: it's yep. second and one, and I'm thinking, okay, yeah, you know. I know the plays are scripted, but I'm like, all right, <laughs> second and one. Let's go ahead and Khalil Herbert this thing. Then he throws it to DJ Moore for the first down. But I was like, ooh, man, we just don't care, huh? We're just throwing the ball. This is what we do. <laughs> Third play design QB run for a one yard loss and it was a bad one too and then I was just like that's our first run like it couldn't have been a Khalil Herbert like like the quarterback run isn't that's supposed to be something that like fools you off of something not we're gonna establish a QB run so we can then I don't know it threw me off then the next play and good old Luke Getzy fashion another design quarterback run two design was in a row that one goes for the four-yard loss because they read it like a like a book and then on third and 15. Uh, he hits DJ Moore, and that's when uh obviously uh Bears do not go for fourth uh, go for it on fourth down at the 49-yard line. Well, I'll ask Anthony Heron on the other side. Um, does he think uh that the Bears should have went for it right there early in the game at the 50-yard mark uh to put some pressure on the Broncos? We'll discuss that and we'll take your calls as well. You got any Bears thoughts after the game? Maybe on Iber maybe on Claypool or even Justin Fields himself. Phone lines are open. 312-644. 6767 he's Anthony Heron I'm Gabe Ramirez, and we'll be back with your cause and more thoughts after this at 670 The Score.
0: Why? Why?
2: If you have T-Mobile 5G home internet, you might be hearing this a lot. Why? Every
1: time your internet slows down during the busiest hours. Why? Why? Because your network gives priority to cell phone users. Why? Why? Good question. Why not switch to Cox Internet with two times faster download speeds than T-Mobile 5G home internet during peak hours? Okay. Stop the whys and visit cox.com slash 5G home Now get 0% APR or up to 1,500 bonus cash on the Hyundai Tucson. Now, during the Hyundai Getaway Sales Event. Offers end soon. Call 562-314-4603 for details.
2: Why why did you think that was the right play
1: at
4: the time?
3: And on their opening series of the game, you put your defense with your depleted and, and rookie, for the most part, secondary out on the field against Russell Wilson. And the Broncos offense has been pretty effective this season. You're putting your defense in a really rough spot opening the game against the opponent. The hope is that from the 45-yard line, you can punt and pin. We've heard Matty Bufluse Matt use that term so much this season. The hope is you can punt and pin and play some field position there where the first drive that your defense takes the field will be where their opponent is inside the 10-yard line, maybe inside the 5-yard line. And Trent Gill has been an effective punter in his young Bears career so, you're hoping that as opposed to punting it where they fair catch it on the 16, which ended up being the result, that you can punt them and, and really pin them down somewhere inside the 10, inside the five. And so the opening drive that you're depleted secondary and that your defense as a whole is, hasn't been good this season, that they can take the field with the opponent backed way up. So, that was to me when, you know, there was so much other stuff going on when Matt Eberflus addresses the media. I don't know if he ended up getting around to being asked about that initial fourth down decision because there's so much other, like the last fourth down and all the other issues going on with Chase Claypool and everything else. But I would imagine that would have been his explanation. And frankly, I agree with him, man. You got a chance to back them up, a defense that's been just as bad as your offense, back those folks up and let your defense take the field and play downhill at the opponent. Play some field position. It's the the whole complementary football idea. I just think we've kind of turned into this thing where folks just want every fourth and short to be gone for, and now we're not playing Madden. <laughs> we're not. We're, we're trying to actually situationally manage the game that's in front of us, and he had a chance to pin the opponent down. If they punt it there and you get it inside the five-yard line, then you, you're putting your defense in a really strong position, and every decision as a coach, it, it's not like in the end, we'll evaluate it based off the results, but for the coach in that scenario, you, you're making basically an educated guess <laughs> You know, based off your personnel, the matchup, the opponent the flow of the game and they're early in the game I All right, but talk supported to me, that
2: one. Talk, talk to me about then from a player's perspective right i mean don't don't you feel like players become a bit deflated
3: no no that that is so overstated man like it, it, I feel like every time a fourth down isn't gone for then people talk about how you didn't have faith in somebody but then when the fourth down doesn't work Then it's, what are you doing, and how could you possibly make that decision? It's it's a very results-based reaction. No, I don't think it deflated anyone that he didn't go for the opening fourth and two of the game from his own 45-yard line. I don't think that crossed anyone's mind out there.
2: I think Justin Fields is (laughs) sad.
3: Yeah, he (laughs) played like it with having the game of his
2: (laughs) career. (laughs) After that, he got pissed and then had the first half of his life over there. So I think he was sad. Let's go to the phone lines. Let's go to Thurgood on the south side. So, Thurgood, kind of like Ant, who we're talking to right now, you're still high on Justin Fields, right?
4: Oh, absolutely, sir. And, uh, you know, I, I teach, a, teach a LSAT prep course, a law school aptitude test prep course, and the gist of it is simple logic. So let's ex- let's use a couple of simple facts and extrapolate from there. Fact, 2021, you had the worst team in terms of giving up uh, sacks in the NFL. In fact, 2022, you had the fourth from worst team in terms of giving up sacks in the NFL. Justin Fields, in contrast, a high school All-American, uh, played in the uh, uh, in the college football playoffs, uh, had two first-round receivers that came from his uh, team he played for. I'm assuming that they did not throw the ball to himself. In striking contrast, the Chicago Bears, an organization that has never demonstrated any uh, accomplished quarterback, and you have inexperienced offensive coordinator, head coach, and general manager. So the, the question in an LSAT test would be, what is the most logical or reasonable root of the problem with the Chicago Bears? It's not just in fields, just on simple empirical facts and logic. Uh, I also note that uh, presently you have a, your left offensive tackle. I think he was a fifth-round choice, not from Utah, not from Utah State, but from South Utah uh now i think it's boron uh, that doesn't that's not a prescription for success in terms of moving the ball and the like. And somehow we got rid of a gentleman by the name of Roquan Smith and so and substituted him for a no-impact player in terms of linebacking and sacking ability. You also gave up your other sack leaders. So how did you really imagine you would go from worst to first and the problem is Justin Fields, the proven commodity uh, at the high school and collegiate level? So logically, empirically, Ah, Justin Fields is not the problem. Rather it is the in- incompetence of the Bears organization.
2: There's a good, good, quick follow-up for you. Okay, uh, let's all, let's also you know use you know, let's also ask this question. Okay, let's hold true for some things in this particular uh, example. Let's hold true for the fact that, that they have have a solid offensive line. They do have competent coaches.
4: I'm sorry. We we assume what we said. So let's hold let's, let's big hold big let's hold
2: true for the fact that, that the Bears have a competent line. and Hold true for the fact that the Bears they don't. Ha, but go I know ahead. But exactly. This is just, <laughs> just, just like you did with your question. I, I get to do the same. Let's hold true okay, for that
4: exactly. Set it up as you wish. Exa- okay. Thank, you, thank exactly. you Let's assume there's a Santa Claus, but go ahead. Yeah, yeah.
2: we we, we could do that too. <laughs> and there are kids listening, so let's not do that. Okay. Because your assumption well, is that I Justin Fields is a good quarterback, a but your your assumption is that you you make this ridiculous uh, 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 assumption at, in conclusion that Justin Fields isn't the reason; it's everything else around him. So, if we hold true for everything else around him, my question to you is this: Does Justin Fields, or is Justin Fields, at that point then a top ten quarterback in the NFL? As
4: far as him being a top ten quarterback, I, I think so. He was a top ten. Uh, qu- he was a top four quarterback in the college football playoffs supporting himself well against Clemson, uh, six t- touchdowns. His his he also produced not one but two first round NFL receivers. They again those receivers did not throw the ball to themselves. He threw the ball to them, sir. So again, the logical again, okay. those are empirical okay, okay. facts.
2: So so you, you uh, must yeah. look at And that's fine. No. And I'm okay with that. And I'm okay with that. And and again I just I I think to make the assumption then that if everything else is operating around him, and that's the argument that's being made, right? It's it's where you see or how you see Justin Fields. You either see him like Thurgood does, and you're still high on him because the assumption is that he can somehow get to that place if he has two more first-round wide receivers to throw the ball to uh, because let's not forget those those two receivers are still very good in the NFL with someone else throwing them the football. Um, and and it's, so I, I think there's, there's that to be said there, but I, again, I just – I don't like the it's one person's fault thing, right? And and, and, and I, t- I talk a lot about Justin Fields, and you mm-hmm. know this. Uh, I've been a little bit harder on him this year than I have in the first two years. Mm-hmm. And, and and for me, it's about consistency, right? It's about doing it at at a high level consistently. And third, the reason why I ask whether or not you feel Justin Fields will be a top-10 quarterback is because, to me, I think that's the argument that people aren't spending enough time on, which is, right, last year it was – This is the guy we are building around. He is a franchise quarterback. This is someone that you can rock with for the next 10 years, right? And now you just have to reevaluate that and say to yourself, is he a top 10, 15 quarterback? Because if he's not, then it's okay to move on from someone that is not that if you're trying to build a winning franchise and play play winning football for a a long period of time.
3: And Yeah, and I think that, like a, a Jalen Hurts is obviously an example that we use a lot by comparison because there's there's some similarities to the style of play between Jalen Hurts and Justin Fields. And to me, from a an overall ability perspective, and I've been saying this to Lawrence for a couple of years now, Justin Fields, in my opinion, is kind of a souped up Jalen Hurts. I think he's a, a more naturally talented passer. Certainly an overall better athlete, more speedy, all those types of things. So I think in, in a lot of ways, by comparison, a souped-up version of Jalen Hurts, because a lot of the intangibles are seemingly very similar between the two with the leadership DNA, the toughness, the aptitude, the work ethic. All those things seem to be very similar between the two. Jalen Hurts has been in a very different situation than Justin Fields with what, what the Philadelphia Eagles have built around him. So I think with through the lens of whether or not Justin Fields would be a top 10 quarterback if everything around him were exceptional. Like, you know, if Justin Fields were with the Philadelphia Eagles and Jalen Hurts was here, do I think Jalen Hurts would have been thriving in this scenario that, that the Bears have had Justin Fields in over the last couple of years? No, I don't. Do I think Justin Fields would be thriving if he were in the scenario that the Philadelphia Eagles were in? Yes, I do. Now, both guys are in the situation they're in. So Justin Fields has to be capable of of figuring things out with the Chicago Bears for now. Now, who knows? Maybe he gets the Ryan Tannehill second act or the Geno Smith second act or something along those lines. You know, there have been examples of that over the years. But for now, he's with the Chicago Bears, and he hasn't been a guy who's been able to sort of lift up the More Bun franchise regardless of everything around him. But there have been very few individuals in the history of the league who've really been that. And, and so that's where... You know, you you got the guys who who seem to be like that elite of the elite, that 1% of the 1%. And I've never viewed Justin Fields in in that realm. But is he a guy who I feel with the right infrastructure around him can play at a really high level? I believe so. And my hope is that we'll see a game plan that's more suitable to what I feel like not only his skills, but where the offensive line is at. I feel like what we saw from Luke Getzi on Sunday was more conducive to that and that to me is the best way to be able to evaluate whether or not Justin Fields can be successful here cuz i think there is so much that that he's capable of that could be maximized and we saw a version of that on sunday
2: and at what point do you give up i don't not, not give up but like at one point are you like okay you're not a, you're not our starting quarterback anymore we we're you know what i mean
3: like yeah, how, I, mean, I think it just i think it just depends on the results like like daniel jones you know daniel jones They didn't pick up the fifth-year option for him with the the New York Giants last season. He went out, played well enough, led them to a playoff berth. And I don't think most outside observers, even after going through last season, looked at Daniel Jones as one of the top ten quarterbacks in football, but with a better offensive play caller around him, with a roster that they kind of bolstered over the last couple of seasons – Then suddenly the Giants were able to find a way into the playoffs and they were in a position where they said, well, either, either we pay this guy who we think is good is above average can maybe get us some playoff berths and then just see where it goes from there. Or we move on and try to rebuild after we've kind of put all this time and effort and resource into it. So Daniel Jones gets his second contract in in New York and gets paid. He's still in some guy who's one of the top 10 quarterbacks in football. Certainly didn't look like it the other night, but he was a guy worthy of being kept now. You know, is is that who Justin Fields is? I I don't think that decision has to be made in the next couple of weeks, as long as you're getting competent football from him. And, you know, Fields isn't the only part of that equation. But If you're getting competent football, but you're still not sure if he's the long-term answer, then the Bears at the end of the season will have the opportunity to pick up the fifth-year option or the opportunity not to pick up the fifth-year option. You don't even need to trade Justin Fields. You can still draft another quarterback and have Justin around, and they battle it out next season. Like, there's a lot of different scenarios that – that don't mean there has to be some sort of a finish line decision on Justin Fields within the next couple of weeks. That's that's what the discussion, just because of where we're at kind of as a, a sports fandom and as a society, the discussion turns really quickly into either he's one of the best in the business or they got to get rid of him really quickly. And there is so much middle ground in between those two spaces that, you know, I think a, a lot of folks just kind of ignore, you know, in, as we have these conversations now where, you know, the, The Bears got a lot of stuff to figure out beyond Justin Fields, and there's a whole lot of games left this season to kind of continue to evaluate him and everything around him to make that choice.
2: And somebody texted in and said, Madden is only six-minute quarters. That's why you go for it more frequently.
3: Okay. (laughs) Talk me something. I'm not a big Madden guy. Madden 93 was my last foray (laughs) into the Madden world. All right.
2: On the other side, we're not talking Madden. We're talking real football, and more specifically, we'll be talking about the Bears' matchup against the Washington Commanders. What does Anthony think the Bears have to do in order to get the victory so that we don't have to fire Ibraflus on Friday? We'll talk about that (laughs) after the break. It's Kay Ramirez, Anthony Heron, here on 670 The Score.
3: It's that time of year. Cash the ticket.
1: Jim Costa with Mike Valeni. We shift the focus from football to college hoops. Getting us ready for the tournament where we're going to break down all the matchups and have an eye on some future plays, too. Search Cash the Ticket on the Odyssey app or wherever you get your podcasts. We're back, live with more Gabe Ramirez on 670 The Score.
2: Being joined by Anthony Heron for the entire hour, which has been pretty Whoa. cool. So, and Bears take on the Commanders on Thursday. And I just talked to uh, Washington Commander, the guy who covers them. And he said that, I said, what's the weak link on uh, for the Washington Commanders? He said, man, it's their offensive line and Sam Howell holding the ball too long. And I said, well, <laughs> it looks like... <laughs> like Spider-Man Me. That's not going to get exposed. <laughs> no one's going to notice. <laughs> you guys are going to have the best game of the season, not All a right. lot of sack. Um, what do you think the Bears need to do uh, on Thursday to get this victory?
3: So, we were talking about it, you and I, a little bit uh, on Friday on Unleashed, just with how, how the Bears can try to generate more pass rush. When Cassie was asking us about that, one of the answers I was given was because the secondary is so young and inexperienced, then it could be difficult just to to be as blitz heavy as the initial game that Matt Eberflus was calling the plays after Alan Williams was first, you know, you know, up out the paint. And I think now that there was some of that youth had had a week to practice a little bit, you know, we, we might see him, you know, kind of carve things down the middle a little bit, some blitz. And we did see where he brought Jaquan Brisker off the edge a few times, even up uh, through through the A-gap, I think one time they brought Brisker. We saw Jack Sanborn a part of the blitz package a little bit. It wasn't that extensive, but again, Matty Buflus has never been a really blitz-heavy guy anyway, but situational blitzing, when you at least have that back end that's had an opportunity to work together a little bit more, you can supplement the pass rush with that, and the Bears D-line was more active against the Broncos than they had been in previous games. So DeMarcus Walker, in the backfield frequently. Saw Andrew Billings continuing some quality play on the interior. You know, you're only gonna be able to get so many snaps out of a guy the size of Andrew Billings, but he plays with energy on the inside. And he's actually at times is given a little bit more pass rush penetration than I kind of thought he would give the Bears here. Unique in Gakwe, I think they need more out of him definitively, because they've paid him like a guy who they want to be their their best edge rusher. And frankly, as far as just winning one on one matchups, he hasn't shown up as much as DeMarcus Walker, or as much as even Rasheem Green has, as far as really affecting the quarterback, winning one-on-one pass rushes, a lot of his penetration has been off twist games. So it would be good to see more from Ngakwe at some point here because they, they need more out of him when, when there are some opportunities and predictable downs and distances. You know, it's it's a creative offense. There's no there's no surprise there. Eric Bieniemy calling the plays, getting that opportunity to to bring his expertise from Kansas City to D.C., and you know they got to have more. They got to find more from the pass rush, and it's kind of been one of these things. Just like you were talking about with the the overall picture of the squad, where it's like, all right, what do we settle for here? The D line was better, still not not dominant, not a force, but it was better than than we had seen in previous games. And I think kind of every game this season there has been a little bit more from that D line. So it would be nice against a. Still a youngish quarterback. I think Sam Howell's in his second season right now. He's kind of smaller in stature. There's a lot of Baker Mayfield in Sam Howell mm. where he can make quick decisions. He can extend the play a little bit. But he's a smaller in stature quarterback. And, uh, you know, I would hope that that the Bears find a way to kind of get him off balance and get him off the spot pretty frequently and kind of speed up his rhythm and try to force him into some mistakes here.
2: Yeah, and, and, and on the offensive side of the ball, right? I mean, when you're thinking about Justin Fields, you had a guy who you know two completely different halves you know a tumultuous season in terms of just you know what he's had to deal with and the, the the roller coaster ride he's been on even for the first quarter of the season how does he come out and and try to duplicate a first half that ended you know in such a different way you know the losses is not I'm, not I'm not i don't care about the loss more more mm-hmm. so about his own play uh, in this particular game
3: I really don't think Justin Fields played poorly in the second half. I think the Bears' offensive approach changed a little bit where when the offensive line started taking over in the game, they they were more run heavy and kind of going to the the last fourth down conversation where, you know, again, my, my issue was more with the decision than the play call. I thought they should have kicked the field goal. But even that last play call where you essentially run a, a zone read and you know, guys don't block it up and you get a tackle for loss and – then Denver goes down and scores, but I think for for Justin, because the volume of passes weren't there, where Denver had the ball more in the second half, seemingly than they did in the first half. But you know he he still put up nice numbers in the second half. You know he wasn't perfect; he wasn't fifteen out of sixteen, and the only one being a you know a hail mary in the second half. But I thought he threw the ball well, even those final turnovers. The biggest mistake I felt like Justin Fields made was probably the the taking the sack, well, not even the sack, the intentional grounding penalty. Yeah. I thought that was one where, you know, you find a way to get out of that. Certainly didn't like the sack on the naked bootleg. We were talking about the naked bootleg earlier. The interception, that to me was honestly just a, a, a quarterback and a pass catcher who, again, the big problem for Justin Fields, where he's needed the most improvement, has been to hit that back step and let it rip, to trust his read and trust his teammate to be where he believes they're going to be, And Cole Komet, he and Cole Komet just had a different read on the leverage of the defender. But for Justin Fields, a sign of growth is the fact that he did just let it rip and he threw the ball exactly where he wanted to throw it, when he wanted to throw it there. He and Cole Komet were essentially just inches different on how they read the leverage of that defender. So I think there's a lot for Justin Fields to build off of, not only from the first half of the game. I thought he continued to play well and throw the ball well. I mean, two to be willing for a guy like Justin Fields to do that, even with it leading to an interception on that last play of the game, it, it would have been different. I would have felt different about that final drive if we saw a version of Justin Fields that began to hold the football longer and pat the football and take sacks under duress. We still saw a guy playing in rhythm and on time on the decisive drive of the game. So I, I really thought start to finish Justin Fields imperfect but I thought he looked as comfortable and as confident throughout the full scope of that game as he has at any other point in his Bears career so far. So this will be a different challenge because it'll be a better pass rush that he'll face. And it it may be a game where who knows the opposing offense because of the creativity of it may present some different challenges to the Bears defense. Maybe we see him playing from behind again in this game or something like that. But as much talk as there was about the way, Justin Fields looked in the locker room afterwards, and was talking to Lawrence about it a little bit yesterday. I think looking dejected after the game and disappointed after the game. I mean, that's natural, man. The guys put a lot into this, and definitely, there's been all kind of turmoil afterwards and everything else. And yeah, it's a it's a disappointing loss. But in the end, specific to Justin Fields, I'm I'm he obviously doesn't love the fact that that they lost the game, but I can't imagine he won't be eager to get back on the field Thursday night and build off of what he did because he played his tail off on Sunday.
2: Yeah, he did, and I understand you're actually right. At the end of the game, man, you know you just kind of down and out. Yesterday, the Odyssey softball team, we had our it was a semifinal. We played uh-huh. and, and we beat the defending champions.
3: All right, who we okay. who
2: we lost to in the championship, by the way?
3: Oh, wait, no, so no, no. We I'm played them in we, the semis and in so we
2: we lost to them last year in the championship. Okay. And then we played them this year in the semifinals, mm-hmm. and we beat them five to one. There we go. Your boy went three for three with okay. a nice little over-the-shoulder Willie May style sixteen-inch oh, grab. Now that's 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 catch. difficult. That's difficult in sixteen-inch softball, right? Because right, you know, sixteen-inch softball is usually underneath you, and it's hard enough to catch that big-ass ball. But when you're on the run, veering to uh-huh. your right to eat the guy was trying to eat up the line over my shoulder, had a catch, held him down. We won five to one. Then we went to the championship and for the third year in a row we lost
3: oh you're the buffalo
2: bills of the literally of the softball league. and guess what i was sitting on the bench like justin field just staring off into the sunset so, so i saw so it's justin Dang. i feel you and, <laughs> uh, and i'll see you friday bears unleashed maybe next year have a good week no no, no i'm retiring that's it bro it's been like <laughs> you retire and do you understand i've been playing in this league for almost 20 years
3: I mean it's Tom Brady's 19 come back, years I've been in this damn on? radio
2: station softball league. Like, I'm done. <laughs> I got kids out of deal. You know, my, my wife's my wife's not hearing this because she's at home unpacking. Right. And I got 20 more seconds. <laughs> I yesterday I told her I was gonna go build the beds. We moved into Oak, our Oak Park house today for everybody that's listening. Oh uh,
3: yeah, Oak Park game. We
2: moved into our Oak Park house. So last night she's like, I need these beds to be built so we can just kind of you know have somewhere to sleep. Mm-hmm. So I was like, Don't trip. I got it. I said I was going to go build the beds. <laughs> And then I went to go play in my softball games. That's, oh, that's why we can't
3: wow. do this next year. Wow.
2: Because that, that's it. We can't, can't be doing it to the wife anymore. <laughs>
3: that softball league will break up a happy home. Huh? Hey,
2: hey, hey. Hey, those beds, <laughs> they, they were hard to put together. I'll tell you that. Hey, <laughs> see man, what I did I, there?
3: I feel you on that. <laughs> all
2: right. And I'll talk to you later, man. Have a great one. I'll see you Friday, all right? All right, my
3: guy. Have a great night.
2: Anthony Heron right there. And because it's been so depressing talking about the Bears for the last hour, we're going to change gears, and we get to talk about Something that's not as depressing, I would think. Damn, what is more depressing, the Cubs or the Bears? (laughs) Either way, we get to talk to Megan Montemuro. Up next, uh, what are her season-ending thoughts on the Chicago Cubs? And what do they need to do in order to make sure they're in the playoffs next year? We talk to Megan Montemuro next right here on Chicago Sports Radio 670, The Score.